It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you live from lovely Gilbert, Arizona today. And I have my co-host, best co-host in the business, Landon Manth, on the show as well from Las Vegas, Nevada. Landon, welcome in. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, today's going to be a, a little extra fun. So for those of you who are listening in for the first time, we're a podcast and radio program for small business by small business. Landon and I are small business owners and have been for a long, long time. We also have parents who are small business owners. We believe in the small business owner being the, the true backbone of the American economy. And today, we typically have a, an outside guest with us. But today, unfortunately, uh, our guest that was scheduled, our thoughts are with Thomas Bridge, who had to have an unanticipated procedure done and was not uh, ready help-wise to join us on the program today. So good news, bad news, and it really depends on whether you feel that it's good news or bad news, and you can judge that in about an hour. It's just going to be Landon and I today. So we're going to talk through a little bit about what we do specifically for our business owner clients and tell some stories along the way and, and give our audience uh, an opportunity, as this is about our 70th episode, to get to know a little bit more about us and where we come from and what we do for our business owners every day. So. Landon, let's start with you. Tell us about uh, your family a little bit more. We do talk about the twins quite a bit on the show, but you know, tell us where you grew up. Tell us your dad's background in business. Let's let's get a flavor for the Landon Mance Empire. Yeah, absolutely, Landon Mance Empire. I like I like the sound of that. Yeah, so I, I grew up in grew up in San Diego, and my dad uh, has been a forty or fifty year entrepreneur, uh, mostly in the commercial development and management. Uh, he's designed and built some uh, beautiful medical buildings, some mixed-use buildings, some commercial buildings, uh, mostly all in, in Southern California. And actually, something interesting that I did not know until maybe a month or two ago that my dad's dad had started and sold a, a roofing company, and uh, I didn't, you know, I, I I didn't get to know my my grandpa on that side of the family very well. He passed away at a relatively young age, and frankly, my dad doesn't really talk about him all that much. I didn't know really what he did. I knew that he was in the Marine Corps because he had uh, this really old school anchor tattoo on his forearm which I, I guess was a, a very common thing for young Marines to do back back then. But uh, I didn't really know much about his professional career. And uh, yeah, I just found out, like, I mean, just in the last couple of months that he actually had owned, operated, and sold a, uh, a roofing company. My, I've got four siblings. And uh, my older sister, the oldest of the four of us, she's been on the show before. And uh, Dana started and runs a very successful women's clothing boutique out of uh, Southern California. And uh, she's been doing that for, I want to say it's been, I think it's seven or eight years now and really grown into a really nice little business. And um, so that's what she's been doing. My other two siblings are not currently entrepreneurs, but they've been involved in some entrepreneurial ventures and uh, I'm I'm pretty confident that sometime in the next couple of years that my brother will start a business. He's in the uh, he's in the brewery business, so he's learned the brewery trade and he's really interested in starting up his own brewery. So I, I think he'll probably do that in the next couple of years. And then my older sister, uh, sorry, my younger sister has been involved in some really successful tech startups. 
Um, she does a lot of independent contractor work because she's uh, she's quite the scholar and she speaks four or five different languages and does some translating work. And she's done a bunch of uh, independent contractor type of work with multiple different businesses and uh, just a really, really intelligent woman. And, you know, who knows what the future holds for her. She'll probably do something really, really special, uh, you know, um, in the years to come right now, she's kind of focusing more on raising her uh, daughter and uh, their son. They just had a, uh, their, their second kid a couple months ago, baby Lucas. Yeah. But my entrepreneurial journey started a long time ago. And my, my first memory was back with my grandfather on my mom's side who was quite the entrepreneur. He owned and operated multiple, very successful businesses. He was an inventor, um, invented a, a really cool product, not the pavement uh, world, but the concrete world. Uh, and then he also did a lot of uh, real estate uh, development um, as well, mostly on the, uh, on the commercial side. But uh, my my first memory was having a conversation with him. That was Grandpa Rodifer. And Grandpa Rodifer said to me uh, that if I could go out and, and save $250, that he would match my savings with $500. So I'd have a total of $750. And so I went out and I, I mowed lawns and I picked the lemons off of the trees and I sold uh, bags of lemons to my neighbors and uh, did a bunch of odd jobs. I think it took me about three or four months, but I saved up 250 bucks and sure enough, he, uh, he matched it. And um, that kind of set me on my, my path to entrepreneurship. But a little bit more about me personally, um, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Tia. We've been together for about 11 years. We've been married for six. Uh, I've got a stepson, Hunter. He's 19. We just moved him into uh, school. He's going up to Utah Valley University up in the Salt Lake City area. So he's just been up there for a couple weeks. Super excited to start that chapter in his life. And then um, my wife and I tried for many, many years to have kids. And then we were finally blessed with. Uh, twins, Hendrix and Harper. They are almost 17 months now, and they are just uh, the, the, the love and light of our lives. Pretty much all of my time, energy, effort, uh, and all, everything else that one has is dedicated to, uh, to those two little munchkins, and uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. Pretty much sums it up. Obviously. Uh, you, Mr. Peterson, are my business partner now, and uh, I maybe I'll, I'll I'll turn it back over to you and tell us what I just told everybody, and then you can kind of you can kind of intertwine in how uh, you and I became you know official business partners uh, earlier this year. I know I'm older than you are, but you probably remember the Double Mint Twins growing up, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, so I, I think we should call Harper and Hendricks the COVID twins. <laughs> oh, it's it's definitely a it's definitely a, a, a relevant uh, assessment because they were born right as uh, COVID uh, really started getting uh, getting crazy and running rampant. So that's that's a fair statement. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't live it with you, but I kind of lived it with you uh, as you went through it, and it's you know. That was not an easy thing to do to have have preemie twins specifically in the COVID era and the hospital being essentially shut down and only one of you being able to be there at a time. I mean, it's just, you know, that was that was a tough time for you guys and for your family and, and just, you know, making sure that they were going to be as healthy as they could be, given that they were born so small and specifically Harper was born so small. And so it's uh it's been quite a ride you guys have been on and I've watched slowly as the bags under your eyes have disappeared and and the, the old fully rested Landon has returned and it's been a fun journey for me to watch as well yeah yeah so uh I'll tell you a little bit about about me so I grew up just outside of Salt Lake City Utah in Provo actually very close to where Hunter's living now I know where where Hunter's living and 
my parents live about a mile from Hunter, like maybe not even a mile directly down the street. You go directly south from Hunter's apartment and you'll run into my parents' house. Um, and so that's, that's where I grew up, graduated from Provo High School, which was at the time, it's now moved, but it was at the time, it was right across the street from Brigham Young University. And so that's been, you know, the way that I grew up was following BYU sports. I'm a big sports guy, always have been. Uh, I love all sports, period, but college football for watching and, and attending is probably my favorite. Baseball would be a close second in terms of sitting in the stand. Baseball games, as many people know, are not as exciting as college football games. And so, um, but I, I love the game of baseball. They call it a thinking man's game, which I definitely fit that mold. I love to just watch the strategy and watch, you know, the way that the whole thing um, gets played and, you know, the game unfolds. But uh, I grew up kind of the oldest child. Um, my parents were divorced when I was very young, and my mom remarried a man who had two kids from his previous marriage. And my brother and I, that's a year younger than me, uh, had been born at that time. And so I did have technically a, a sister that was older than me by about a year and a half, two years. Uh, but she didn't live with us most of the time. So I, I grew up as the oldest child. Um, I was also the oldest child of the oldest child. So I was the oldest grandchild as well. My grandparents, my grandfathers were both farmers, one of them an independent farmer. The other one ran what's, what was called a welfare farm for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They have their own kind of welfare system. And my grandfather ran one of their farms for 26 years. And that's where I spent most of my childhood. And so if, if I had to point to where I got my work ethic from, it started with my grandfather and spending a bunch of time on the farm with him and driving tractors and doing whatever it takes to make a, a farm run. And then followed that up with my stepdad, who I called dad and really raised me owning his own business and working alongside him as a stucco contractor and just, just getting into that, you know, business ownership really. But I think really the work ethic is the, is the biggest thing that I got from both of them. And then the entrepreneurship bug really struck when I, when I went to high school and, uh, and took a class in ninth grade called Entrepreneurship in the Stock Market. And it just opened up a whole new world for me. At that point, I was sure I was going to law school. I wanted to be either a criminal defense or a criminal prosecutor and just you know be in a courtroom every day and arguing for or against whatever was going on in, in the courtroom and, and defending somebody or trying to prosecute somebody. I just thought that was going to be the coolest job in the world until I took this entrepreneurship and stock market class. And growing up relatively poor, I hadn't been exposed to the stock market or any of those types of things. And just, uh, it really kind of changed the trajectory of my life. So fast forward, I met my wife as a missionary for our church. We were both serving in Brussels, Belgium at the time. Um, and our mission covered the Southern half of Belgium, which is French speaking, and then the Northern half of France. And so I came back from there and studied French at Cal State Fullerton, um, which oddly enough is a top 20 French program in the country. Most people, if you're not a baseball fan, have never heard of Cal State Fullerton unless you grew up in the Orange County or Southern California area. But it was, it was a decent school, good experience for me. And while I was finishing my degree, I started my financial planning company and had our first kid kind of pretty darn close together, which was very stressful. Southern California is not a cheap place to, to live. It's not an easy place to start a business and also try to raise a family at the same time. But we made it. We fast forward now, and I've got a 21-year-old son that's starting his junior year at Arizona State studying sports journalism. And then an 18-year-old daughter that's getting ready to leave. We're actually going to start the drive this after or this evening uh, for her to go up and start her journey in college at uh, BYU Idaho in Wexford, Idaho. Of course, I can't leave out my wife. My wife of 23 years, Robin, uh, has been with me through thick and thin. Did not grow up in an entrepreneurial family, and so that was very difficult for her early on. Her dad worked for the same corporation essentially his whole career. He he started with another couple of corporations, but 
in the same industry, same area, didn't ever move. They've lived in the same house since 1969, regular paycheck every two weeks. And to this day is still receiving a regular pension paycheck from that, from that company. And he retired in like 1989, just a different background. And that was, that was very difficult for her. She's kind of uh, stuck with me through the, the early years and is now somewhat reaping the rewards. So I got a, got a question. I, I want you to just expound on something because I think it uh, helps to set the stage for the advisor that you are today. You have a really unique background in our industry. So talk to us just a little bit about your professional roadmap over the last couple of decades so that we can understand you know, your, your experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly kind of almost fell back into this industry by accident. You know, you're probably too young to have looked at it for a job in the newspaper, but I looked for a job in the newspaper. I'd been frustrated at my current job that I was working at as a management trainee for Hertz car rental while I was finishing up my degree. And, and I was passed over for a promotion because, and I'm not lying to you when I tell you that the, the regional manager said to me, this guy is married and has three kids. You're married with one. So we're giving him the, the promotion. And so that was what prompted me to say, okay, I got to look for a different job, even though I'm still finishing up school. And I answered an ad for another management trainee position, but it just so happened to be in wealth management. And so it was one of those, oh my gosh, that's right. I, you know, I loved that class in, in high school. Man, maybe this is meant to be. And that was kind of where that, where that kicked off. But you know, I, I hadn't finished college at the time, still very young, young father. And I'm trying to you know, get people who have significant wealth to trust me to work with them. So you know, I did everything that I could to finish school as quickly as I could know that I wanted to go get an advanced degree and then also start to work on an educational background in specific to our industry. And so, you know, I finished that bachelor's degree in French. I went on to get a master's degree in business administration. And then simultaneous to all of that began to work on other designations that I have today, like chartered life underwriter, the certified financial planner designation, recently got the certified business exit consultant with you at the same time. And then uh, I'm just about to sit for an exam for a certified plan fiduciary uh, advisor as well to work with, you know, corporate retirement plans, which we already do in our, in our practice, but having that, that designation um, sets you apart a little bit when you're, when you're handling corporate retirement plans. And then you've got extensive experience on the life insurance side of the business. Talk to us about that just for a minute, would you? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I finished my, uh, my MBA in 2008. So as you can imagine, the, the economy was not great at the time. And uh, my wife said, you know, the economy is not great. I don't know if we want to start over uh, your business at the time because I'd sold my practice in Southern California, moved to Utah to get my MBA at BYU. And she wasn't convinced that we wanted to start over. And so I went to work for a life insurance brokerage at the time uh, with, a, with a salary plus commission type of a, of a structure. And through that, kind of worked my way through that, that brokerage as a, what, we'd call, what we would call a life insurance wholesaler. So for lack of a better you know, way of explaining it, I worked with advisors like us to incorporate life insurance into their business in the proper way. Um, there are unfortunately too many advisors that don't fully understand how to use life insurance and financial planning. Um, and how it can be beneficial and, and structured appropriately for clients to save them on taxes or help with estate planning or you know those sorts of things. So did that for about five years. And then I went to work for two different life insurance companies, specifically wholesaling their products to advisors again, before jumping back into uh, personal production and fast forward a few years and we are where we are today. Yeah, definitely. So... Today, you know, we wanted to talk about our process and what makes us unique when it comes to serving business owners. But 
we also want to make sure that we're focusing on, on value for our listeners. And so we want to try to do our best to convey and use examples and scenarios and situations that people can relate to. But let's just start at the very beginning because you and I very regularly say to people that we are not your traditional financial advisors. We are very different in the way that we have structured our businesses, the way that we get paid, the way that we work with our clients. So, you know, we wanted to kind of talk about the different stages that we take our new clients through. But let's start at the very beginning. Talk to our listeners about like what what happens when we very first get introduced to John Smith or Mary Smith, business owner, and we get referred to them from one of our existing clients or from one of our you know strategic partners. Maybe it's an attorney or an accountant, and they say, "Hey, you know, you guys should talk to Austin and Landon," and they say, "Okay," and they sit down and meet with us for the first time. What can they what can they expect in the first meeting? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the reality is the first meeting is is almost like a a drill session, if you will. You know, I, I equate it to going to the dentist and having your, your tooth drilled. I mean, it, it it can be painful to be honest with you. But you know, of course, like anybody that's that's in business, you're gonna start by building rapport and you know, explaining a little bit about about what we do. Um, and, and asking some questions. I mean, the, the reality is most business owners have done some level of financial planning along the way, right? Whether it's working with an attorney, working with an accountant, working with an investment advisor or a life insurance agent, they've done some level of planning along the way. And so we, we start by asking them that. And, and if they've done some, then they, of course, they, they tell us yes. And we'll proceed to ask them, well, if, if you've already done some level of financial planning or I'm telling you that most of my clients have done some level of financial planning. And we basically just ask them, why do you think that our clients have ended up engaging us then? And most of the time, the answer is they, they have no idea. But the reality is what we discover most often, and this is a long history of you and I, but it's also the group of advisors that we interact with on a regular basis um, in, in what's called the Business Intelligence Institute, which is just a group of about 100 advisors nationwide that focus on the business marketplace. It's just the reality is there's no coordination um, going on between the different advisors, right? Because we're not attorneys. We're not accountants. Every business owner needs both of those people. They need insurance agents to help them with their commercial insurance needs and all those sorts of things. But they're meeting with each of those people individually, and none of them are coordinating everything that they're doing from a planning standpoint to make sure that the business owner is able to achieve what it is that they're setting out to achieve. And so what we convey to them is that most of our clients feel way more confident in where they're headed by having everything coordinated together so that it's not just being looked at through the tax lens or through the legal lens or whatever the case may be, but it's, it's almost like, you know, you like to describe it this way. When we talk to our clients, it's almost like going up in a helicopter, looking down at their situation and saying, are we all going the same direction? There are all these aspects of your financial plan, but are we all going in the same direction? And most of the time they're not. And so by us getting in there, getting involved and understanding the tax implications and understanding the legal implications to a degree, we're not tax or legal advisors, of course, but know enough to say, let's have a conversation with all of them together and coordinate together. And if they agree and understand at that point, then we say, listen, for us to, to know whether or not you can receive value from what we do. And for us to know that it's the best fit for us to work with you, are you okay if, if we ask you some personal financial questions? And then we spend about 45 minutes asking all those questions about their business, about their personal finances, about their insurance coverages, about their kids, about their parents. I mean, everything that you can imagine that has any sort of tie into their financial or business life, we're asking them about that in the next 45 to, 
75 minutes. Hey there, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here, host of Tycoons of Small Biz and co-founder of Backbone Planning Partners. If you're listening to the program and you're wondering how you could also be a guest on our program, please reach out to us at backboneplanning.com. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it's mutually a good fit to have you on the program. And also, if you're thinking about your business and what we do at Backbone Planning Partners and helping our business owners to plan for their biggest asset, that being their business, and want to understand what it's worth and how that's beneficial to you in your financial planning journey, please also reach out to us at backboneplanning.com and we'd be happy to provide a no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the show today. Let's see if we can come up with a quick example. So for anybody that's listening that says, great, you, you coordinate this, but like, what, what is an example of something that we see with business owners a lot where there is a, a major lack of coordination amongst their various accounts or assets and or the advisors that serve them? Is there something that kind of jumps out at you that you could speak to real quick? Yeah, I mean, you might be thinking of something different, but the what seems to come to mind for me as the most common is the fact that uh, as a business owner, you know, most business owners that we work with have at least one other partner. And so they've put together, you know, a buy-sell agreement, which basically just documents what's going to happen if they want to exit the business or they become disabled or they pass away or you know, whatever the case may be. But that document was drawn up almost in a vacuum by that attorney and, and just documented kind of what's going to happen. But then it gets put on the shelf and nothing is done to make sure that that's able to come to life, so to speak. And so they're not working with an expert like us to make sure that they understand the implications and how to actually fund that buy-sell agreement. So the statistics are very, very low for business owners that even have a buy-sell agreement. But then they're even lower for those that do have a buy-sell agreement that's been funded with say, for example, life insurance and disability insurance to cover that eventuality, right? So I'll, just, I'll give you a quick example. One of my clients that I worked with and, and known for, oh, 20 plus years at this point. And when they started their business, it was three partners. And I said, great, let's make sure you're putting together a buy-sell agreement. They hadn't hired me at the time, but it was somebody that I knew personally. And I said, look, just as your friend, you should put together this buy-sell agreement. Yeah, yeah, we put together the buy-sell agreement. Great. Did you fund it with life insurance and disability insurance at the very least? And has it been reviewed by somebody that didn't draft it to make sure that it says what it's supposed to say? Well, no, but I mean, we're in our early 30s. I don't know that we need to worry about that. We're focused on growing the business. Not, not really worried about it. And I said, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm not saying you need to do any of that with me. I'm just saying, as your friend, you need to do that. So they don't follow that advice, unfortunately. Fast forward a few years, two of the partners get together and buy out the third partner. And at that point, I remind him, hey, you know, you got to redo the buy-sell agreement. So while you're redoing it, let's look at these things again. Yeah, yeah, I know we need to do it. I know. Let, let's reconvene. I do see the importance. We're older now. You know, let, let's reconvene and have this discussion. Well, before we were able to fully get them into underwriting, we had literally started to look at all the different options for disability insurance and life insurance and some of the other things that the business needed at this point. And, and they had hired me by that point. The remaining partner has a massive heart attack at age 45 and dies. And so literally the plan was not in place, was not able to be carried out the way that they had anticipated or wanted. And so the remaining business partner, the only one of the three that's still there over the next five years had to buy out his remaining partner's widow with after-tax dollars. So he's taking additional distributions from the company, buying her out with after-tax dollars. And then of course her attorney, and it was amicable, but her attorney it's negotiating on her on her behalf requires that my remaining client carry what disability insurance and life insurance so that if something happens to him during the five-year buyout that she still gets her money 
And so it was truly that double whammy because the financial planning had not been done. The advisors had not coordinated on what needed to be done. And the clients hadn't fully listened to the advice that they were receiving. And it hindered the business for about five years from being able to grow the way that it could have if that had just been paid for with life insurance that had funded that buy-sell agreement. She would have received it tax-free. There would have been no hit to the business. And he get, he, he's got some cash on hand potentially to then hire somebody to replace what he did and the business continues as before. But instead, they had to kind of struggle through for about five years and, it, and they still did fine. Don't, don't get me wrong, but the cash flow of the business was not near what it would have been if you didn't have to handle that buyout through cash flow from the business rather than insurance policy. We meet with, with the prospective client. We have that initial conversation. We identify opportunities and gaps. And now we're ready to, to meet with them again. And so the way that you and I operate in our practice is we have our initial meeting gather a ton of information, and then we bring that back and we analyze that as a team. Then we come back to the client, prospective client at this point, two or three or four weeks later, and we have our second our second meeting. That meeting we call the engagement proposal meeting. And at that meeting, we essentially spend an hour, typically about an hour, and we walk them through exactly what we would do for them, what it would mean to them, to their business, to their family. We quantify that so that they can wrap their head around actual numbers so they can understand real real value from what we're going to do. And then we communicate to them how much that we would charge in order to, to get that done. Fair. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was I was wondering as you started to phrase that if you were gonna make me answer the question again or if you were gonna answer it yourself. So I was prepared to push it back to your court and say this isn't just an interview of Austin. Right. But But, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Yeah, so okay, so we we have our second meeting, the engagement proposal meeting. That's pretty unique in our industry. Very, very few advisors um, will will do that because not not to knock other advisors but most financial advisors out there are really concerned about one thing and that is capturing and managing investment assets and what makes us different in that regard is that we our business model supports, or I should say it lends to serving business owners well, because, you know, we tell this to people all the time, to our business owner, prospective clients and clients, we don't have to be managing your investments. You can keep them wherever they are. And to stay engaged with us, we just charge a flat fee for ongoing advice. And that seems to resonate um, with a lot of our perspective and then ultimately current clients. But let's talk about what happens after that. So, so, they, so real quick like, before, yeah, real quick before you go into that, I just I wanted sure. to kind of point out really why why we do that and why we feel that it's beneficial, right? Because a, a couple of things first. Most business owners in our country, like the large majority of business owners in our country, most of their net worth is tied up in their business, right? So they they typically don't have a lot of outside investments to manage anyway. But even if they do, like you said, we're we're not tied to them moving their investments to us. Now, many of our business owners most of our business owners choose to have us handle their investments as well, but it's their choice. And the reason it's their choice or the reason it's beneficial for us to work the way that we do is that our business owner clients know that they're giving, that we're giving them advice, not tied to 
us being able to manage their investments and capture that revenue, if you will, we're giving them advice that they're paying us for. So just like you pay an accountant or just like you pay an attorney for their advice or for their time, we're set up that same way. And we feel that it gives us the best ability to be unbiased and just provide advice to them, regardless of whether whether we manage their investments. Now, managing investments is still a large part of our practice. We manage a, a lot of money still for our clients, but we're not leading with investments or giving them advice that's predicated upon them letting us manage their investments. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Brad. And that, that helps provide some, uh, some additional color. All right. So stage two. So we've gotten hired and we start to, to move forward. And one of the first things that we do is we do a, a business and a personal valuation. And if you look at our website, it says something to the effect of getting an estimated range of value of your business. We can talk a little bit more about that. That's probably good information because a business owner thinks their business is worth what it's worth. That's not typically true. There's many different valuation methods and ways to value a business. And that's why we like to talk to our business owners about the range of value because it depends on uh, what ultimately ends up happening with your business, which will determine the value. For example, if a business owner, I don't know, let's say they run a travel agency and they essentially have no assets. The business doesn't really own any assets. They don't have any vehicles or heavy machinery or uh, you know anything like that you know so there's there's no asset value to the business in that regard so if they were to just shut down and liquidate the business their business might not be worth anything at all or maybe it's several thousand dollars they got some you know computers or, or something like that and on the opposite side of that spectrum, let's say that they ultimately sell their business to a strategic buyer, which would be somebody probably in their industry that sees an opportunity to acquire them, where you know, you're usually going to get top dollar for that. So let's just say that the business is it's a $10 million business if it's acquired by a strategic buyer. And that would get you quote unquote top dollar. So really your range of value might be zero to $10 million. But doing the doing the business and the personal valuation, that that is a critical step in our process because we have to understand, just like any financial planner would, we have to understand where are you. Now, where where do you stand today? Except because you and I focus, you know, I mean, exclusively or primarily on working with private business owners when it comes to our new clients, that is a step that cannot be excluded from the process because we are helping them to manage their biggest asset, which is what we call pre-liquid. Because right now it is not liquid. Private businesses are uh, are illiquid assets. Uh, so we have to. We also we also do a business valuation for tracking purposes, right? Because we want to understand what your business is worth today, and then we also want to understand when we update your planning. We also want to understand what your business is worth next year, and the year after, and the year after, and the year after, and so on. So that we can help you to track the growth of your business, the enterprise value of your business, and then also help you as the Mr. or Mrs. Business Owner translate to how does that translate over to your personal net worth, right? And we talk a lot about helping our clients to move 
you know, to transfer their wealth from their business balance sheet over onto their their personal balance sheet. So let me let me pause there and ask you, why is that important? When when we're when we're helping our clients do that. Now that doesn't that's not something that happens overnight, but throughout the course of years, why would a business owner be concerned about moving some of their net worth from their illiquid business over to their personal balance sheet, uh, which typically is much more liquid. Why would, why is that important? Why would someone want to do that? Yeah. A couple of things come to mind for me. I mean, first of all, the statistics of, of business owners who ultimately end up selling their business is very, very low. And so, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, some of them you kind of hit on whether there's there's just really no asset value or there's nobody who's interested in paying for it. Now, there's a lot of different reasons that a business doesn't ultimately end up selling. Not the least of which is they decide to just transition it to the next generation, right? And so, if there's not some sort of a liquidity event that comes up with the business, but you're heavily dependent on the business for your ability to be financially independent later, you're kind of in trouble if there is no liquidity liquidity event. And so that would be one aspect for sure that comes to mind. The, the other aspect is if you're working with us or other advisors who are going to ultimately help you prep your business for that eventual sale and do everything that we can to get it in place to have the best possible exit, negotiating power if you don't need any money from your business because you're completely financially independent outside of the business is immense. I mean, you, you can go to the negotiating table and not have to take anything that they're throwing at you because you do not need the money. And, and I don't know that we can emphasize that enough and what that does for a business owner because you can ultimately just choose to walk away and say, well, it doesn't make sense for me to sell it for that price. So I'll just continue to operate it or I'll hire somebody to come in or, you know, transition the ownership of the business to a trust and let, you know, a professional management team come in and, and manage it and, and create generational, excuse me, create generational wealth for my, for my family. There's so many things that you can do differently if you're in the driver's seat in terms of you're completely financially independent outside of the business. And that's just, you know, the icing on the cake. If you do ultimately end up selling your business, anything and, you'd add to that? Uh, not really. I, I mean, one of the things that just jumped out at me was, you know, when we're talking to our business owner clients about risk, I like how you always say that nobody, nobody in their right mind would ever take a hundred percent of their money that they have and invest it into one company, right? So, so as an as an example, if I had, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to my name, that's every penny that I was worth. For me to go take that hundred thousand dollars, put it into Apple, or to put it into Tesla, or to put it into IBM, right? Just to dump all of it into one company, I don't think there's anybody that would argue that that would be a a very silly thing to do. Why? Because I'm putting all of my eggs in one basket. I am totally dependent upon that one company to either be successful or uh, I also am at their mercy if they were to go bankrupt, right? If their stock went down to zero and I had all my money in there, well, guess what? I now have zero dollars to my name, right? And so, you know, I like how you, you you say this, you know, when we're talking to our business owner clients, like you would never go out and put all of your money into Tesla stock, right? Nobody would ever do that. 10 out of 10 times, everyone shakes their, you know, nods their head up and down and says, oh yeah, like absolutely, I would never do that. But that is exactly what most business owners do unintentionally. Because they've been running their business for three years, five years, 10 years, 30 years, whatever the case may be. 
and in their their perception of their business is that it is not it's not risky because I've been doing this for so long. What do you mean risk? My business has been plugging along. I've always done five to ten million dollars of revenue for the last you know fifteen years, and I've always made between one to two million dollars of profit every single year. And what do you mean risk? There's no risk. And so I, I think you and I have learned over the years and through experience of working with a lot of very successful private business owners that it's not about trying to change their mind. It's just about helping them to look at their business through a different lens and help them to understand the importance, again, just shifting some of that wealth from their business balance sheet onto their onto their personal balance sheet. Now, we've only got 10 minutes left. So yeah. We've been, Time we've been flies. yes, it does. We've been blowing through this. So uh, we've got a couple other stages that we want to talk through. We'll have to we'll have to talk through them uh, <laughs> relatively quickly. But um, so after we do the personal and the business valuation, then we we kind of move into like this getting organized stage. And you want to just talk about that for a minute or two? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's obviously a little bit different with each business owner, depending on their situation, but think of it this way. I mean, when we all have this picture in our mind, when it's, you know, when it's tax time, you take your, your box of receipts to your accountant, right? And you have them go through it and figure it all out. And what were the expenses last year? And what, you know, what, what does everything look like? It's pretty similar to that in, in, in essence, right? I mean, we're gathering all of the documents that you can think of, whether it's, the business or the personal documents. So we've got legal documents for estate planning. We've got, you know, the legal documents for the business themselves. You've got the operating agreement, the shareholder agreements, anything that you've got for, from a legal standpoint for the business. And then we're looking at tax returns over the last several years, both business and personal. And then on top of that, you've got investment accounts and retirement accounts. And we're looking at the corporate retirement plan and you know, essentially everything that we talked about in the first meeting, we're now looking at it and saying, how can we make this more organized and easier for you as the business owner so that you're not having to worry about it? that? That's the reality is a business owner wants to be able to say, Landon and Austin, let's take care of this. Let's get it all organized. You know, in a perfect world, which is really not realistic, but in a perfect world, they're getting one statement that shows all of their stuff in, in one spot, right? Now, when they meet with us for reviews, which we'll cover in, in a minute, but when they meet with us for reviews, they can see it all in one spot because we're organizing it for them and sharing it with them in one spot. But that's that's really what we're doing in, in that stage is getting everything kind of put together and making sure that we don't have duplicates because people set up different accounts at different times for different reasons and then almost forget about why they had them, or even that they had them at all, and they end up duplicating a lot of things that can be consolidated and more organized. Yeah, and I'll add a couple things to that. You know, in our getting organized phase, we talk about helping them to determine what type of owner they are, and then understanding what potential business transition options might be available to you as this particular type of owner. So just due to the fact that we don't have a lot of time to get into that, I'll just cite a quick, quick example. 80%, it's actually a little bit higher, but around 80% of our business owner clients, uh, we we have them take a like a survey, right? I guess the An business assessment. exit readiness index survey. It's about 10 to 20 questions and it helps them to understand how financially and mentally ready they are to leave their business, whether it's now or it's 10 years down the road, doesn't matter. But it, it helps to kind of not, not peg you, not to back you against the wall, you know, as being, you know, this type of owner, and I'm using air quotes, but it really helps to just provide some clarity as to 
what type of business owner you are when it comes to your financial preparedness and just as importantly, your mental preparedness. And then it, it helps to educate you. We help to educate you around what are some potential succession options that we can consider based on the type of owner that you are now. And a lot of people kind of fall into this bucket of they are a, a stay and grow type of owner, just meaning that they're not financially or mentally ready to leave their business. So they need to stay. They need to continue to, to build their wealth. They need to continue to drive the enterprise value of the business. And, and that's one of the things that we do during this getting organized period as well is we, we help to kind of uh, expose them to some realistic, short-term, simple things that they can do or consider to start to reduce the risk of their business. Because ultimately, the less risky your business is to an outside buyer, the better chance that you have of actually ever selling or transitioning your, your business to another party. That actually leads right into another thing that we have them do, right? We have them go to what's called the owner dependency index. And business owners have a hard time putting their, wrapping their heads around this a little bit. But the, the reality is, like you just said, the less dependent the business is on them day in and day out, the better or the more valuable the business is. And that's hard to do, to, to let go of some things along the way as a business owner, because you built this thing from scratch, right? It's your baby. It's everything that you've put your blood, sweat, and tears into for years. But the value of your business goes up tremendously by starting to let go of those reins and having other people run the day-to-day. -day. So you're truly then becoming an investor at that point. You're like somebody who owns shares of Tesla, hopefully not all of the shares that you own are in Tesla or your current business by that point. But by you being an investor in the business, your business becomes worth a whole heck of a lot more than being the CEO and the person who's running it day to day. We've moved through that stage now, getting organized, talked about what type of owner you are, what are some transition options, what are some things that you can look at to potentially reduce the risk of your business, identify and we kind of remedy some kind of close some of those gaps that we have that we have brought to the surface so now we kind of get into the final stages making a decision and then kind of implementing now that we've kind of understood where we are from a financial and a mental preparedness standpoint now we kind of understand like what what options are actually available to us right for most private business owners, at the highest level, you know, there, there's only a couple of succession or exit options that are available to each kind of owner. You know, it's not like you've got, you know, a dozen or two dozen options on the table. It's like, no, you probably have one or two, maybe three different options if you've got a really nice, a really nice business. But the next stage is just kind of making that decision and then kind of moving forward with some implementation. And that certainly includes understanding the monetary value of the transition that you're kind of working towards, right? And that can always change down the road as your business gets bigger, gets more profitable, the, the options available to you start to become greater. But also in this stage right here, you know, you're going to receive your first version of your financial plan. And at this point, we've had, I mean, what would you say at this time, Austin? We've had somewhere between probably three and maybe six meetings. That sound fair? Yeah, that's pretty typical. Okay, so... Three to six meetings were, were delivering your first version of your financial plan. And then take us home, Austin. What, what, how do we kind of wrap this all up kind of in our last stage, which is the kind of the execution and the, you know, the protection and the ongoing, 
you know, um, service to our clients? Yeah. So, I mean, implementation can, can be different for, for every, you know, business owner, but we're going to spend after we've kind of delivered that first financial plan and that kind of lays out what we're going to do over the next 12 months. We then get to work. We roll up our sleeves. We start to talk about whatever it is that we're seeing as either a coordination gap or something that could be done differently inside of the business to help it grow its enterprise value. And we'll sit there and we'll consult with with the business owner and their management team over how to fix some of those things, right? So it's almost like a consultative relationship at that point where we're sharing our background and our experiences. And if it's beyond our expertise, then we will introduce these business owners to people who have expertise beyond our area of expertise in a, in a given area. But we're going to spend time making sure that we're building this plan and putting them on a roadmap to transfer, like you said earlier, assets from the business balance sheet over to the personal balance sheet put together that timeline on what the exit looks like, start to hone in on what we need to do to make that exit and the strategy that we're employing as as beneficial as possible. And we're meeting on an ongoing basis. And then at least once a year, we're meeting for a renewal meeting to discuss, okay, what what did we accomplish in in year one? What do we need to accomplish in year two? What's that going to look like from a time commitment for, for us? What else have we put in place and we have a discussion around renewing our fee for the next year. And that's completely dependent upon what our input is going to need to be for the next year. And that's typically 50 to 100% of the initial fee. It's an agreement back and forth. You know, I think that we're going to have to spend this much time and we're going to be working towards this. What do you think about that? And you know, most of the time, it's pretty easy to come to that agreement because they've seen some of the value that we've brought to that point. They've seen themselves save money. They've seen the enterprise value increase. They've seen these different things that indicate to them, wow, if we continue to do these types of things, then we're going to continue to be on this path. It's worth every, every penny at that point to pay the, the renewal fee and to continue down that path that we were, that we were on. And then yeah. the last thing that I'll, yeah, last thing that I'll mention is at that point, when they've been able to perceive and see for themselves firsthand the value that we bring to the table, we typically have a conversation with them about who else do you know that has a similar type of business to you that would also benefit from the value that we bring to the table. And, and that's when we get introduced to other business owners that we can help as well. Yep, absolutely. Well, we're basically out of time. I'll add something real quick and then we'll wrap up. I think one of the things that makes us different is that when we're working with our business owner clients, everybody says that they are proactive in how they service clients. But when you've worked with enough successful private business owners like you and I have, we can help them to anticipate things before they actually happen. I think that that is a huge differentiator in the way that we run and service, you know, our run our practice and service our clients. And I think that that is uh, arguably one of the biggest benefits of the work that we do, at least the ongoing work that we do for our business owner clients is that we've worked with a lot of successful business owners. We've seen their businesses double, triple, quadruple, 10x you know, over the course of years. And uh, we understand the pain points that come with that. And we understand the things that uh, will happen with their people and their operations and their finances. And uh, so, you know, we're meeting with our business owner clients. I don't even know how many times we probably interact with them, maybe half a dozen to a dozen, depending on uh, how involved we are with them. But uh, to be able to proactively uh, bring ideas and issues to the table and to address them before they even actually happen, um, I, I think is is something that we're, we're pretty decent at and our, our clients get uh, tremendous value out of. So, all right, well, we, we are over time now. We'd love to connect with anybody that's listening to this, whether you're a business owner, an advisor to a business owner, someone that wants to start a business. Uh, we'd love to connect with you and have a conversation and see how we can help each other. Our website is backboneplanning.com. 
You can find Austin Peterson or myself, Landon Vance. We're all over LinkedIn. Or you can Google uh, Tycoons of Small Biz and you can find us uh, through our podcast. So, Austin, uh, really enjoyed it, man. As always, love your brother. And uh, anything you want to say before we close? Love you too. And I would say don't forget about our YouTube channel. (laughs) All right. Right on. Well, thanks, guys. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.